0: Hey folks, welcome back to episode four of The Green Report. This is Ryan Skrabarchik, Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs at TNLA. Today, we are privileged to have a conversation with Texas House Agriculture Chairman Drew Springer. Chairman Springer represents a large corner of the northern part of Texas. With a 22-county sprawling rural district, Chairman Springer fights on behalf of a very rural constituency in a rapidly urbanizing state. Listen in as we discuss how he got his start in Texas politics, what some of the major legislative issues will be going forward, and what his committee has gotten into this session. We talk hemp, taxes, and the politics of representing rural communities. And at TNLA, we want you to know the latest concerning the green industry. So please be sure to subscribe to The Green Report, give us five stars so colleagues in the industry can find out about the show. And as always, thanks for listening.
1: Howdy, neighbors. This is Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller. I want to remind you that the Lawn and Garden Tax Holiday is this Memorial Day weekend. You can save money on products that help save water like plants, mulch, rain barrels, and more.
0: For more information on the Lawn and Garden Tax Holiday, please visit www.landscapetexas.org. Okay, folks, today I've got Chairman Drew Springer here with me. Uh, Representative Springer represents a pretty unique part of Texas, and he's going to tell us about it. But, uh, Mr. Chairman, thanks for sitting down and talking with us. No, my pleasure, Ryan. So, first, let's get into where you represent. Tell us about your corner of Texas, and it's a it's a rather large corner in it?
2: I've got a big chunk. Uh, I've got 22 counties, about 25,000 square miles. It starts in my home county of Cook County north of Denton, 35 in the Red River. Uh, Goes west around Wichita Falls and all the way over to Lubbock and then up in the Panhandle through uh, Childress, Memphis, all the way up to Shamrock-Wheeler, then back around to uh, Vernon.
0: Oh man! What's the total count on the counties?
2: Yeah, 22 counties, 25,000 square miles. It's actually bigger than 74 countries. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's sort of the. So we can call you line. Mr. President then. That's exactly. <laughs> and
2: uh, and I tell people I represent a whole lot more
0: cows than I do people. Well, there you go. Well, you probably have your fair share of festivals and parades and uh, task. I'm sure to get to every corner of that count of that district. Uh, I think out in your out in the lobby for folks who might come to visit the Capitol, you actually have a license plate. You are kind of internet famous, I guess. I'll say that from doing what was it, twenty-two town all, halls. I did
2: tw- all twenty-two counties in twenty-two hours, um, and uh, you know put seven hundred miles on in that period of time, and so I hit every single county in less than a day.
0: And talk about your representatives working for you. That's that's a really good sign. So, uh, how did you get into politics to start with?
2: You know, I got in uh, probably like a lot of folks. Is it, it's your family? Um, my both my grandfather and father were on the city council. They were very civically oriented, and um, you know, got into it from that standpoint. Uh, started working with the Republican Party uh, in Cook County when we got moved up there from uh, Dallas when we were. Able to get out of the big city and go back to where my wife uh, was born and raised up in Munster. And, okay. and uh, you know, uh, Rick Hardcastle was my predecessor. And uh, when Rick stepped down, a lot of folks in my county said, hey, you know, you've shown a, a desire to, to do this. We would love for you to serve.
0: Well, so my next question is going to be kind of where do you serve? And you it gave me a perfect segue there because so Rick Hardcastle was your predecessor. Former chairman of House Agriculture at one that time. That is correct. And you are now chairman of House Agriculture. It is so your first first time chairman this session. You're in your fourth term. Is that right? Fourth term. Okay. Yeah. And so, what other what other committees are you on other than Ag?
2: So, other than Ag, I am on uh, uh, State Affairs. So, all the regulatory issues with PUC. Uh, major state issues. A lot of times folks know that we deal with a lot of uh, pro-life, pro-religious type of uh, issues that come through that committee. So uh, a very big one. And then local and consent uh, from a calendar standpoint, making sure that indeed what gets voted unanimously out of a committee that everybody thinks isn't a trouble, we sort of scrub those and make sure they're true. And, you know, sometimes you'll find out that a committee that has uh, nine urban members doesn't see a problem of passing something that when it gets out and all of a sudden a couple of rural guys look at it and go, you got to be crazy to think <laughs> we're going to follow that law. And so, we, so t- we tend to move them on back to general calendar.
0: The local the and local consent calendar is, is procedural. You kind of – you serve as the gatekeeper before things get to the floor. That's correct. And once they get past you, those are supposed to be bills that essentially no one can disagree with. We talked a little bit about that in our last podcast with Representative Gonzalez, who I think also serves on that committee yes. with you. And some of the interesting uh, – ways that that calendar has been used in previous sessions. And even even this session, we've seen a little bit of action, although probably not to the extent we've seen in the past, where bills can die really quickly even if they're, quote-unquote, agreed to.
2: That's that's right. I mean, and, and you have to think of the whole body and because it only takes five, and sometimes unless one person really doesn't like it, they can kill it by themselves. And so, you know, we try to tell members when they're saying we want our bill to go to local and consent, Uh, You know, you you look at the bookends of both parties, you know, from the very liberal side of the Democrat Party to the very... Tea Party, Freedom Caucus side of the Republican Party. And you got to know it's going to pass those ends if it's going to get through.
0: And sometimes there's probably a little, there's a little bit of horse trading that goes on. I mean, it is politics. There is there is some of those.
2: And then, you know, uh, some of those things all of a sudden get stopped and you're going, well, why does anybody have a problem with the bill? And it's not the bill, it's the author.
0: Yeah. And so, uh,
2: <laughs> you know, it, that's, uh, politics is not, you uh, 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 a disconnected vic- from uh, personal relationships.
0: It's uh, very true. Okay, so you are, like I said, a first-time chairman this session, chairman of the House Agriculture Committee. Tell us a little bit about that. What has that been like this session?
2: You know, it's been good to get back on. I, last session, I wasn't. My first two sessions, I was a member of it, so it was good to get back on the committee, obviously. You know, deep appreciation for agriculture. Realize it's, it's the second biggest driver still in the state of Texas from an economic perspective. Uh, you know, we just want to make sure we keep moving in the right direction. Good news is, I tell people a lot of people aren't trying to attack us and come after us. Right. I think they do more of that to the oil and gas guys. But we, we do have new technologies and new things that comes through. I think this year the big issue was industrial hemp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was glad to uh, help transition from Chairman Tracy King. Uh, to allow him to carry the bill because he'd done a lot of work on the interim on it. Right. And I, I was very pleased to see it pass through the House floor unanimously with no issues. That meant we did our job of describing that this is not marijuana. Right. This isn't something hallucinogenic. Right. This is a, a fiber, a plant that is a rotational crop that folks ought to have the right to be able to, to grow and and so I, w- I was glad we were able to get that bill passed.
0: Any forecast on the chances of that? I mean, so that has made it now out of your committee, off the House floor, over into the Senate. And I think it was actually set to be up for its hearing today and got pushed back from some education stuff in the Senate. But any feelings you're getting from over there?
2: You know, uh, Charles Perry, I think, is doing. I mean, he's, I mean, you know, you want to go from, you know, Tracy is, I mean, he's just your run-of-the-mill good, good d- Democrat. Right. But, you know, uh uh, Charles Perry, Chairman Perry, is a, uh, uh, is a good one, viewed as a conservative Republican, hard conservative. And when he doesn't have a problem, I, I think that that should show signs to people right. that this is, once again, not marijuana. Right. We need to, to go forward with this. And we really never really had the chance. People go, well, why haven't we done it before? Well, until the feds passed the farm bill in December of 18, you know, you really didn't have the ability to truly do production style uh, industrial hemp.
0: Yeah, it would have it would have been a lot like the marijuana situation, where it's not legal at the federal level, and you have those complications between the states and the feds. So, this is going to be another crop, a another opportunity for maybe growers in the state who want to get involved in in some level of the hemp production uh, game, and so. From TNLA's perspective, I think we have a lot of members watching it with a very keen interest. You know, right. what is this going to mean? Is And and it's being sold as a drought-resistant, potentially new cash crop. Um, we'll have to see if some of those things pan out. And,
2: and, and mine is, as I've always sort of said, hey, don't make this the emu crop, and let's right. make sure <laughs> right. that the demand for the crop goes with what we can produce. I mean, people talk about, wow, Kentucky has got all of this production. They've got 12,000 acres. I mean... I could do, in one of my 22 counties, I could do 20 times the amount of production very easily. Right. Everybody understands from, from cotton to corn to sorghum, you flood the market with too much then the demand, and you're going to crash the prices. Right. Uh, so while today it's a high cash crop, I think over time we'll figure out what the demand is, and we'll start growing to that, and it'll probably be that $500 an acre type of Uh, Cash crop.
0: Okay, so uh, that's one issue that kind of came through your purview as chairman of AG. It it probably is most appropriate that you serve as chairman of AG this session because on the floor you've historically kind of played a role for Mister Rural Texas. There, there are a lot of things, and you already alluded to this, where. Uh, an urban or suburban member might put an amendment or bring a bill to the floor, not realizing or understanding the impact that it might have on smaller, more rural communities. And a lot of times you've either been there to point that out and or uh, do what we call a carve-out exemption and and create some kind of buffer there.
2: Right. Uh, They call me Captain Bracket because I've been been notorious (laughs) for, uh, you know, somebody will be trying to fix something at Houston ISD and I'm like, Look, guys, small school districts don't have that problem. Right. Uh, we don't need another unfunded mandate that we don't see any benefit. We want to be a may rather than a shall. Right. You know, we've we've seen it in just numerous other type of laws and different things and regulations. It says it just doesn't fit us. Uh, when I talked to uh, one of our new members out of the Houston delegation, and I told her that I think something like six or eight of my uh, counties don't even have a stoplight in them. And she just couldn't fathom that. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, unless just you amazing. get
0: out there and see it, I mean, there's yeah. no really no way to understand it. And you know, then I see- do a
2: lot just trying to explain to them, you know, that cattle don't grow on the aisles <laughs> of the grocery stores, and uh, you know, yeah. and thank God we're all we all want to be fed and clothed, especially here in the legislature.
0: Do you see those? Do you see those problems getting worse? I guess over in the coming sessions. I mean, we're getting ready to come into a redistricting year. Department of Agriculture is getting ready to go under sunset. I mean there's some there's some very real yeah. challenges where a more urban suburban legislature is going to have their finger on the button for agriculture for rural Texas and and how's yeah. that going to what's that No, gonna? I
2: mean it, it, there are those challenges. I think that's why this rural members were trying to figure out how do we create opportunities in rural Texas to let our kids stay in rural Texas? Uh, I think the broadband of niches is probably the biggest thing that we have going on right now um, from that aspect uh, to make sure that we can, but it, but you're right with redistricting. Uh, the number that came out the other day is only 13% of the state's population lives west of the I-35 corridor, oh. and that is just a scary thought. We'll lose one uh, rural member out of West Texas, and we'll probably lose a rural member out of East Texas. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all moving into these suburbs, the Collin-Denton counties, the Montgomery counties, the the Williamson County, north of Travis County here. And so we're seeing that, that growth. Uh, and as 12, as a 1,000 people move to the state today, I always say there's probably a couple hundred moving out of rural Texas right. to those big cities as well. And so we're going to have to have that balance. But, you know, that sounds doom and gloom, but I will say this. On the good side is... I have found the body, even though the 80% of them plus are, are urban, suburban, they're respectful of rural Texas. When we have a need, they don't run us over. And, and I think that they're still only one generation off the farm. Yeah. You know, so whether their parents or their grandparents had grown up from that aspect of it and they still have a deep appreciation of rural Texas. And so that that's the positive though.
0: Okay, okay. So there's there's gonna be a light there hopefully and you you guys can continue to well represent rural Texas and, and continue to explain to the body well, so some of the other big issues y'all are dealing with this session is obviously education and taxes, and I don't want to take it too far from there. I mean, I really kind of want you. To, I mean, we're we're we are now essentially three weeks out from sign die, and we've got uh, we've got a major education bill to pass. We've got a major property tax reform bill to pass, and it's really up to you guys in the legislature to try to to thread that needle. Oh, and by the way, also pass a budget. Yeah. So you you got some big uh, some big things going on. You know, I
2: think luckily, I think <laughs> on the budget we're we're fairly close. I think we're waiting on the other two big pieces: school finance and taxes. The school finance, I mean, the House did a huge amount with Chairman Huberty, uh, and I think we have a very good bill that addresses an awful lot of concerns that we've had. You know, over the decades, and the fact that we could do this without the court forcing us to, I think, is monumental. Um, And I think the House is very proud of the work that we've done. Uh, We'll see what comes out of the Senate here in the next uh, week or so. Uh, I have a feeling that they're going to be fairly close to what we have, right? Um, And we'll be able to come to something that's agreeable. You know, we really have two pieces with the the property tax. We have property tax reform, uh, which has a, a ton of great transparency work on. I think we're probably past the uh, uh, rollback trigger amount Mm -hmm. that causes elections. Uh, And now we're really looking to see what can we do about true relief to where when people open their tax bill next year, Mm -hmm. their bill went down. Yeah. Not just reducing the future growth, but how can we absolutely switch or swap From a property tax to more of a consumption
0: tax. Expert in that, I know you've studied tax issues very thoroughly throughout the interims, and uh, and so it's going to be interesting to kind of watch that discussion develop with members of both caucuses and and obviously members from all different constituencies across the state of Texas. Uh, You know, it's an interesting conversation for business, probably. Uh, with the, the trade off between property tax and sales tax, and something that obviously I know a lot of our members are kind of watching closely. So, it, you know, a lot of that is still left to be decided. Uh, and, you know, there's still some work in the remaining three weeks to get done. But
2: there is. You know, and I, it, you know, look, I think the legislature has <laughs> proven over time until it has that uh, the clock or slash gun to its right. head. You know they finally won't get in, otherwise they keep thinking of new ideas. Right. We're, at the, we're at the time <laughs> right. period where you know there's not much discussion for new ideas. We've got to get in there and, and, and get it done. I think we'll we'll um, be able to pull it off. I, I, if I was a betting man, which I am, I would easily bet that we're not going to have a special session. So I oh, think we that's get. That's nice taken to hear.
0: All right, you heard it here first on the Green Report. Well, uh, Mr. Chairman, we definitely appreciate your time. Thanks for sitting down with us. Uh, before we go, I'd like to kind of reflect back on your district. Some of our members may live out in that area. Some may want to go there sometime. You have a favorite part of the district? A favorite? We talked about festivals and parades. What? You want to tell us yeah, some really one good my, ones out
2: there? The, you know, one of the big ones, of course, we just finished the two big ones. Thirty years ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, is where I met my wife, which was at German Fest in Munster. There you go. Uh, and it's sad because <laughs> uh, Bob Wills' days over in Turkey, the other part of my district, is always on that same weekend. And so it uh, uh, makes it tough to get out to all of those. But, you know, I, I love going out. You know, you, you take 82 or 70 or, or even 380 and you drive – Right before you get to the cap and you hop up on there, it just seems to be my favorite spot of the world. Um, you know, going through the pitchfork and the four sixes and seeing those huge ranches and and knowing that you know a lot of that land you look at and that had to be what our settlers two hundred plus years ago were seeing when they're crossing the prairies. You know, I, I just feel fortunate to serve that rather than an asphalt jungle.
0: Well, we definitely appreciate your service. Thank you for sitting down with us and appreciate all you do. Thanks. Pleasure to be on. All right, folks, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Chairman Drew Springer. I have James Tice back with us again. James, if you didn't remember from the last show, is our Director of Industry Education and Certification, and he is fresh back from Whitefish, Montana, where he attended NLAE. James, what is is that conference? Tell us about it.
1: Sure. Uh, NLAE is the Nursery Landscape Association Executives. And basically, what that is is the Association for Association Executives in the Nursery Landscaping Association world. It's kind of confusing, but uh, basically, all the states uh, we come together once a year, uh, including Canada. A lot of people from Canada come mm-hmm. as well. Um, and we come together, we discuss issues that are going on in each state. Uh, how other states are u- are utilizing resources, how they're kind of going against those issues, just all the different things that we all face every day.
0: So obviously, you're going to have some of the big associations from uh, large green industry states. It's interesting how how many folks from Canada are involved in that. So given that wide uh, swath of uh, territories that are involved, you probably see a number of issues. What were some of the dominant uh, conversations going on?
1: Yeah. And remember that this is a national uh, association, and so it's a national conference. And so we get both your national folks like American Horton and NLP, but also the state associations from all over the United States. Right. Um, and so all of us, basically, the you know, labor is, of course, the top thing that we're talking about, uh, and labor is issues from Texas all the way through Canada. Um, it's just what are people doing about it to kind of help break break that that labor shortage? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very interesting to see that Canada they're getting a lot more governmental influence um, and a lot of governmental uh, initiatives. Whereas here in the United States, we're focused more on the H-2A and H-2B. But states are doing different programs to try to generate more labor.
0: Do you find if you look at them, um, some of our partners, depending on where they are in the U.S. or maybe, you know, our friends in Canada have a different approach versus um, uh, what types of programs are setting up like a, a government-sponsored, um, you know, a, apprenticeship program? Versus something that we might do more driven by the private industry? Yes. Or led by the private industry?
1: Right. Uh, More or less, excuse me, up the East Coast, it's mostly apprenticeship programs. Yeah. Um, Kind of Central, South, kind of where we're at, we look more at um, the internships, the mentorships, and the uh, certifications as kind of the driver. The West Coast, they're kind of in the middle, they have some governmental influences like mm-hmm. the apprenticeships but um they're kind of the middle with middle game they have both um, certifications and just initiatives to try to build the, the workforce but they're also uh, looking at doing statewide type of
0: you experience. and i attended a workforce conference uh Held by NALP a number of months ago in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, the topic of that primarily was the labor crisis mm-hmm. uh, in every, uh, virtually every sector of our industry. Um, has any of that conversation changed, or are they still on track with trying to promote the same types of programs that they were? Um, you know, it's all about retention, retaining the good employees you have. How do we attract people to the industry? How do, um, you know, how do we generate interest at a at an academic level, both at the higher ed and, you know, as kids are coming out of high school mm-hmm. or while they're in high school? Is that still, still where the conversation is? It still revolves? is.
1: I mean, the the surprising thing to me, what I really brought out from the labor part of it is, you know, here in Texas, and Texas is a huge influencer, okay? We yeah. are... Um, one of the biggest if not the biggest user of h2n h2b Mm -hmm. but also um, we're just a huge influencer on all of our programs that we have going and so a lot of your states want to hear about what we're doing the successes the failures um, and uh, the struggles and so what we we really are kind of the one some of the main people that are doing this Um, but One of the interesting things that I brought out of this was that um, not only in Texas are a lot of your academics, like your universities, colleges, um, getting rid of their horticulture programs or absorbing it into general ag, Mm -hmm. that's not only happening in Texas, that's happening across the United States. And so all of us now are focused on, okay, how do we develop programs within the state organization to help people that want to go into horticulture? Um, help them develop themselves outside of an academic setting. And so it's very interesting that we all kind of have the same need and desire for that from, I mean, even Minnesota, they have a great program over there that reflects what we're doing over here.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so it's it was very, very interesting to hear that. And that's what the big takeaway from it.
0: Well, there's no doubt labor consistently remains the top concern for our industry, and uh, and that I'm sure will be the case until we see some kind of economic change. So were there any other major topics that were discussed that uh, are of concern to our industry, whether on the nursery or landscape side, or maybe just related to our association and how things are going in Texas?
1: Yeah, well, the glyphosate issue did come up, okay. um, and we talked about that. Uh, basically, the overall... Thought now is that we're okay right now Mm -hmm. Uh, it is somewhat isolated in California and those fines have been reduced substantially Um, so we're okay but for all those out there who use glyphosate definitely start looking at alternatives because it's gonna be an issue that's gonna continue Um, it's gonna come in waves and just start being very aware of what other products are out there besides glyphosate, unfortunately, yeah. that, that we can start utilizing?
0: Well, it's such a widely used product, um, but it's never a bad idea for anybody to diversify. Right. And and as we see kind of these progression of lawsuits develop over the next few years, uh, you know, that'll become more clear where where things land. But for now, um, it's reassuring that the EPA has come out and basically uh, determined that it, it's, it's not the carcinogenic uh, concern that is being you know promulgated by certain folks
1: right yeah it's mostly isolated right now in california and they're not seeing it going coming out of california anytime soon but um just be aware everybody out there that's listening be make sure you look at diversifying your weed control
0: well i'm sure there were a number of things discussed i i know the conference presents a great opportunity to network um mm-hmm. so hopefully you know y'all y'all took full advantage of that and Absolutely. as you pointed out uh, working with our federal partners at American Hort and NALP, gives you a chance to interact with um, folks in our other state uh, agencies, our counterparts there. And, you know, I mean, what a, what a great thing for TNLA to be a part of to not only represent the example of Texas, but be able to take away some good ideas, potentially. Yep, exactly. How was it? Beautiful?
1: It was absolutely gorgeous. Good. You know, upper 30s, <laughs> mid-50s, it was it was ideal and no rain so while y'all oh, had man. the rain yeah. i was out of it so yeah that was good <laughs> we continue to get the rain too
0: well james thank you so much glad you got back safe and and we appreciate your leadership at tnla and, and helping spread the good word you bet have a good one
1: you too. howdy neighbors this is texas agriculture commissioner sid miller and i'm here to remind you that the lawn and garden tax holiday is this memorial day weekend it's a great chance to stock up on plants Rain barrels and other products that save water, and without paying the sales tax, you can save both water and some money. And remember to mark your calendars to buy water smart and save this Memorial Day weekend.
0: For more information on the lawn and garden tax holiday, please visit www.landscapeTexas.org.